comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Now, say my name. Eisenberg. You're damn right. Welcome to Los Podcast Hermanos, the HHW LOD Breaking Bad Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Los Podcast Hermanos, Episode 2, where we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 10 of Breaking Bad, Buried. I'm Jordan, and I'm here tonight with Frank. Hey, Frank. Hey, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. I'm also here with Jim, who was here last week. No, I wasn't. Uh, welcome. Oh, you weren't here last week. That's right. <laughs> I was not, no. It's but Jordan's I... first podcast. Yeah, yeah. The guy who's talking now, John, was here last week, and Jim was not. No. So, uh... Russ is not here this week. He had some other stuff he had to tend to, but we've got the other hosts who will be presumably showing up here and there for the rest of this podcast mini series. How's everybody doing? Great. Uh, Mexico. Mexico. That's all I'm saying. Mexico. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He killed nine people in prison within two <laughs> minutes. That's all I'm saying. Such a, such a Tarantino <laughs> moment in this episode, but we'll get to it. Oh yeah, we will. You know, I uh, I told you guys this, but uh, the only way I can watch, uh, I don't have cable, the only way I can watch Breaking Bad is uh, subscribing to it via Amazon, and it doesn't become available until 5 a.m. my time, Central. So I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning specifically to watch this episode because I wanted to see how it picked up from last week. I was so excited. Now, Frank, is that part of their Prime subscription, or is that a separate... In other words, you're buying each episode as it comes out, or is that part of their Amazon Prime deal? Uh, no, I'm buying each episode as they as it comes out. Uh, if I buy the whole season, as they call it, they give me like I think it's a ten or fifteen percent discount, right? Uh, which you know comes out to make maybe twenty cents per episode, but um, but that's how I'm watching it. Is just uh, you know I just have to wait a few hours and then boom, I got it. Yeah, Prime only covers, like, older seasons of television and some movies. It doesn't give you everything free. They do have Justified on Prime, though. i got to catch up on that show. I am two seasons behind now, I think, and uh, it's not making me happy because that's a really good show. This is that time of year, you know, like Sons of Anarchy will be back, all your favorite shows returning, and then you want to check out a few new ones. gets a little crazy. Yeah, Yes, indeedy. Well, without any further ado, should we get to the episode, gentlemen? Oh, let's do it. Alrighty. So we start Season 5, Episode 10, Buried, with a scene of an old man uh, leaving his house. It's either the middle of the night or very early in the morning. He looks like he's going to go fishing or, judging by his hat, ice fishing. Who knows? But he's uh, starting up his truck, warming it up, and he notices a bundle of cash in front of his truck. And so he goes and he picks it up, and he's looking around. And he sees another one and another one. He starts following like a trail of breadcrumbs until he hears this noise in the distance, kind of a a metal squeaking against metal sound. And he goes over the hill and he sees Jesse Pinkman laying down on a merry-go-round and 
kind of, was he spinning it with his legs or was he stationary? He had one leg on the ground, spinning it. Okay, and uh, not looking particularly happy. And that ends our pre, pre-credits, pre-intro, pre-theme scene. I love this uh, cold. I love this cold open. I thought it was great. You know, the whole way they filmed it with the man. He's kind of like quizzically looking and, and you know, the you know following the trail of money. Um, I, just, I, I just thought it was great. Great opening, especially after the way last week ended. I, uh, I got, you know, Jordan, I interpreted that old guy as an old man who was just tired of working. Like he was getting up early, having to go to work. And when he sees that money, his face lights up. Like it's almost like an answer to my prayers and uh and you know unfortunately you know he follows it and he finds out it's it's not <laughs> it's not what he was it's not the the gold rush or the uh or, or you know uh, the dream he was hoping for you know there was too much attached to it one quick thing on this cold open uh the squeaking noise for that little merry-go-round playground uh apparatus uh they worked it into the closing theme which apparently you, when you watch it on AMC, you don't get really to hear the closing theme because they, uh, you know, they're running commercials and what's coming up next on television and stuff like that. Uh, but apparently, if you use perhaps Amazon and definitely iTunes, I had heard uh, you can hear them work. Uh, they work that little squeak into the music at the end, which is kind of cool, I think. That's they, pretty cool. The, yeah, they sure did, and um, it was a little creepy and sad to to hear that especially after you know seeing jesse uh his last scene in there and then cutting to that noise it's just creepy and sad and and lonely so after the intro uh we pick up with walt and hank pretty much directly after last episode ended uh the the garage door goes up Walt walks out and Hank looks after him and they kind of stop as Walt stands next to his car and have a little bit of a high noon moment. You can even see their trigger fingers twitching if you look closely. Someone posted a a GIF online that I saw. And then uh, Hank uses his trigger finger to close the garage door. And as soon as the door is shut, Walt, Walt jumps in his car and he starts flying out of there. But he quickly stops, picks up the phone and tries to call Skylar at the car wash. Uh, She does not pick up. And uh, he starts to realize, wait a second, who is she talking to on the, on the other line? Because uh, the, the person he's talking to at the car watch says she's on the other line. He, he pretty much quickly realizes it's Hank. And just as the same moment he does that, the garage door goes back up again. And it's Hank on the phone getting into his own truck. And Walt peels out of there, uh, just barely <laughs> avoiding backing over that little kid's yellow uh, remote control car. This really speaks to Brian Cranston. I mean, I know, we all know what a great actor he is from watching, you know, as many episodes of this as we have. We have, but he goes from being like defiant, kind of standing his ground with Hank, to by the time he's in the car and he thinks, you know, the the Hank is talking to Skylar, it's like he's panicked. You know, I mean, he's he's about to lose it. He's definitely not being Heisenberg there. You know, he drifts around the corner. He's going so fast. He's in such a panic. <laughs> yeah. So- you know, he's. He can turn on that Heisenberg switch, but it doesn't last. It's not an endless reservoir. The moment he doesn't need it anymore, he's back to being, you know, season one, episode one, Walter White. I think we see that a couple times in this episode, too. Um, John, was it you who brought up the um, that car getting run over in a previous season, yes. the RC car? Yeah. yeah. Right. Remind me again, what happened? How did that kid's car get run over? Marie was driving off angry. I don't remember if it was over 
her kleptomaniac episode, if it was those uh, episodes or not, but Marie was driving off angry from Hank and ran over the kid's remote control car. And Hank and the kid kind of had, like, eye contact uh, in that episode. It was kind of a funny moment. And now in this season, he shows up with a new, a different car. So we can all I assume Hank was, bought it for him. I'm pretty sure it was during Hank's um, mostly paralyzed mineral collecting phase. Because um, I'm, I'm still going through my rewatch of Breaking Bad. And I have not come across that scene yet. Where if it did happen, I wasn't paying attention. And I do remember there being a lot of contention in the relationship. And it's just about... Uh, to that point where I am in my rewatch. So I'm going to assume it's there. One thing about this part of the show that uh, I appreciated was I'm glad they didn't make the audience privy to the conversation that Skyler and Hank had. Because in my mind, how could Hank word this to get her to the restaurant without her tipping off Walt? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if you let it play out in your mind, Hank calls uh, Skylar. It's very urgent. You have to meet me. You know, it's really important that I see you right now. She's going to tell Walt. So to, so to leave that whole stickiness out of it, they just kind of fast forward you to the diner or the restaurant or whatever, which, you know, I, I think was a good move because I probably wouldn't have bought it that she wouldn't have told um, Walt something. Well, right. I mean, we haven't gotten to it yet, but she does mention later to Walt, didn't you get any of my messages? Because remember, Saul has him take the battery out of the phone. So is it possible that she did call just moments after he took... Or, I mean, she was calling right then, but was that before or I after the I think that was after Hank? the meeting with Hank. Okay. I could be wrong, but that's how I remember <laughs> feeling about it uh, when I watched it originally. But I, I don't know, because I, I mean, I feel like she was definitely panicking before Hank said a word in that restaurant. So he might have been vague, but she had some idea of what was coming. And uh, based on based on the way Hank uh, delivers his comments, you know, he's he's really treating her as a victim. And I can help you. I can save you. And Skylar, at one point, she was a victim, but now she's almost in cahoots. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Oh, I definitely agree, though. She is, uh, she is no longer... She no longer has any plausible deniability and really hasn't for a very long time. I've seen her on the internet known as Skysenberg. Yes. <laughs> she... <laughs> they mentioned that last night on Talking Bad, and she got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> so, Walt, like we said, he peeled out of uh, the cul-de-sac where Hank and Marie live. He ends up back at the car wash. Marie has already left. Um, and then we cut over to Skylar and Hank. Like you said, they are at a diner, and Hank tells her, you know, A, which is really important, Walt's cancer's back, because remember, she did not know that. <laughs> and he tries to get a statement from her, but, uh, she, you know, she's obviously overwhelmed, she's, she's under a lot of pressure, and she's panicking because, like we've already said, she's, at this point, she is definitely uh, legally responsible for a lot of things. She would... She would go down, not maybe not for as many years as Walt, if this ever came to light, but she is definitely complicit, legally. Well, I think she's pretty, like, in the first part of their conversation, she's very careful, like, not to give anything away. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of, like, is, is kind of fishing, and she, you know, she realizes that he's only suspicious or what have you, you know? 
uh, and up, only up in, suspicious of Walt, right? Which is a big thing, right? He th- he's Hank's whole thing is like, oh, I want to get Skylar and the kids away from this, as far away from this as I can before I go after him. That seems to be his motivation here. And then you know, it, after you know, he he you know tells her that Walt's cancer is back. That seems to be like you know the the thing that like kind of sets her a little bit you know off of her game. You know what I mean? And then you know later you know if she she realizes that you know he. All she, all he really cares about is taking down Walt. You know, not getting her safe at all. You know, it's just like there's so much going on in this conversation between these two characters, that that you know that plays out later. I just, I just really, uh, I thought it was a great scene. Well, I mean, if you think about Hank's mentality when he walks into that diner, you know, when we'll get into this later from other scenes, but he knows his career is going to be over after this, but he's still got a few things to hold on to, and one of those things is. He's going to walk into this diner, and he is going to be the white knight who gets Skylar out of this abusive relationship, and she's going to be so thrilled that he is there, and he's going to help her. She doesn't have to live in fear anymore. And, I mean, I love how Dean Norris plays it in the scene where, A, yes, he's very comforting and very much, we're going to get this guy, you're fine, but he is befuddled by her reaction to the whole thing of... You know, A, not wanting to give a statement and then trying to get out of there. And then when he's trying to, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Her awesome reaction of, you know, the the escalating, am I under arrest, was just fantastic. And his reaction to that was just so perfect. You know, I, I have to say that um, that I'm, st- I'm befuddled by, uh, by Skylar's reaction, too. I really thought that she was just going to go with Hank. And just go, yes, let's go. It is it, it is so surprising to me that she is standing by Walt. That just amazes me. You know, Skylar Skylar's character arc is much more subtle than certainly like Walt's. Um, but she's kind of gone through this change and a lot of it was off camera between seasons as well. You know, it's almost like a Carmela Soprano type thing. Like, now she's sort of enjoying the fruits of this illegal activity. Oh, you know, last episode it was, oh, another car wash, you say. You know, <laughs> she's she's totally bought in and enjoying the spoils of all of this. And uh, so it didn't really surprise me that she reacted the way she did. I mean, she's full in now. And, and beyond the concept of standing by your man, which maybe plays it a little bit. I kind of doubt it just from a lot of the places she's pinned previously in the show. Um, and even Russ pointed out on Twitter last night, uh, we were talking, you know, she's not wearing a wedding ring in, in scenes between her and Walt later on in the episode, but she's not standing by her man. She's standing by herself. If Walt goes down, she goes down too. And while Hank doesn't realize that, she definitely does. And at this point, you know, you know, a season ago, she would have been, you know, at that point where she she's living in fear. She's not even talking to Walt. It's very creepy between them. I think if he had come to her then, she probably would have gone with him. But at this point, well, I wouldn't necessarily say she's bought into the Skisenberg thing altogether. She's bought into it enough that, A, she does want this money, and, B, she doesn't want to go to prison. She doesn't want to be separated from her children, which we'll see in a very emotional scene later on in the episode. But she has just as much to lose as anybody else here. Right, and Hank definitely... It, his motive was really emphasized when he started asking for the statement. You know, if he was he really... Was his first concern really the safety of Skylar and the kids? He probably wouldn't have stopped to have her read the statement right then and there 
in the diner. So, I, you know, I think that really made her also realize that this isn't, you know, this is bad. This isn't, he's not here just to help me. He's definitely here to take down Walt. Right, right, absolutely. So, so strange to see a frazzled Hank, too, because he was kind of, it seemed like while he was focused, he was just, he was kind of all over the place a little bit. Like he needed, he needed the statement and, and he was super hyper focused. And I'm, you know, I'm used to seeing a very cool kind of, you know, cocky Hank. And I guess it's because just how close, you know, that it's a family member that it's been right under his nose that he's just, he's dumbfounded at, at what, at what has happened. Oh, absolutely. And he needs something, some form of evidence. And, and I, I've got a question for us later about this, but you know, that book may be admissible in court. It's kind of questionable. And I don't know Arizona's laws off the top of my head or really at all, quite frankly, I no offense to anybody in Arizona, but I, I don't know your laws because I don't plan on practicing there. <laughs> um, the, the GPS recorder, almost certainly not admissible. Um, he didn't, he, there's no way he had a warrant for it, that kind of thing. And so all that exists now is circumstantial evidence and opinion. Now, is it good circumstantial evidence? Absolutely. In fact, you know, I'm not a prosecutor or anything, but I might feel comfortable going into court with the evidence that he has now. That said, I don't think it would even get to the point of a prosecutor with what he has right now. He needs a statement from from Skyler or from Jesse or from somebody. He needs some tangible tangible piece of evidence at all to make this case go forward. Because um, otherwise, he's out of a job and Walt is still free. Well, he's still on kind of shaky ground after everything that's gone on with him trying to nail Heisenberg all this time, you know, with his superiors or whatnot. He's not exactly, you know, the shining hero over in his department. Oh, I mean, there's, there's very good chances that this case goes forward there's going to be charges levied against him or at least an investigation into his conduct. I mean, this could go very poorly even if Walt goes down with the evidence. Now, Hank doesn't know about Walt paying for his physical therapy. Correct. But Marie Although, does. at this point, he might. I mean, like, in terms of by the time the episode is finished, he might just because now that Marie knows and she knows that that was where that money came from, she will probably tell him. Because you would think, you know, whatever, I'm reaching, it's probably not something that's very interesting to bring up in the plot, but you would think that trail of money would be huge evidence because that was before there was any car wash laundering or anything. You know, like, where did all of that cash come from that got... Well, it came from the lottery winnings, which Saul faked a bunch of... Uh, oh, that's true. Faked documentation <laughs> for it. And I only know that because I watched the episode like two days ago. Saul's but, awesome. <laughs> so there, there is some cover for that, at least. You know, wouldn't it be funny if that's if that's the uh, the thing that, that brings him down is maybe somehow Hank puts those together and can prove that, you know, this money was dirty... You know, so somehow working the system or so, or something like that, and proving it wasn't a lottery windfall; it was a, uh, it was a uh, meth money. Could be. So after Skyler makes her dramatic entrance out of the uh, diner, we cut over to Walt, who's meeting with John's favorite ca- character, Saul. Who uh, I don't blame you, John. He's an awesome character, and he, you know, it, Walt's phone starts ringing. Like we said, I'm pretty sure that was from Skyler, and. Uh, Saul tells him, do not answer the phone. In fact, you need to take the battery out because they can track you with uh, with the battery in the phone. And I was kind of surprised he didn't bring it up, but maybe it was not known at this point, because I believe we're still in 2008 or 2009. 
But if you've got your battery in your phone, it can be active. The microphone can be activated remotely. And, uh, you know, just even aside from GPS location, you don't want to have a battery in your phone if you are doing what he's doing. What? But, uh, but, did you, you just mentioned a year. Is is there a year? Are, are, is there? Do we know what year it is? I think the show started in 2008. Was it, Did the show begin premiering in 2008 or 2007? Hmm. Well, I'm afraid I don't know. I'd have to look that up real fast. Because that's where the show takes place, and it's only been a year and a half since then. 2008. So, and January 2008. So, it's either 2009 or very early 2010. We know that it is September because um, I noticed that Saul had a blue ribbon on his uh, coat, and I was wondering if there was any significance to that blue ribbon. The blue and, ribbon uh, is for the, um, the plane crash. The, the two airplanes that crashed. Oh, really? He's worn it ever since then, yeah. They even made like viral commercials for Saul, and I think one of them might have shown up in the show a yeah. little bit. <laughs> Were you hit with debris? Like, <laughs> yeah, were you hit with debris? Did your plants die? Did you lose property? Did you suffer any emotional distress, etc.? You know, I thought I was being so clever because I, I uh, granted this is five in the morning, I looked that up, what the color of the ribbon meant. Blue actually also means um, prostate cancer, and September is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. So I figured, oh, it must oh. be September then. <laughs> but if it's been connected to the plane, I guess that washes that theory. Yeah, it's definitely connected to the plane, although it could still be September. It does seem to be uh, hotter out, although it is, it is Arizona, or New Mexico. So I said Arizona before as well. New Mexico. Mm-hmm. I apologize to both New Mexico citizens and Arizona citizens. <laughs> They're both rectangular states. It's whatever, yeah. you know. Fun, funny little note. Um, I love your weather. That's, that's <laughs> all I can say. There's something out there called the Breaking Bad Insider Podcast, and I'm trying not to repeat everything they say, <laughs> but uh, it's a podcast run officially by the editors and uh you know vince gilligan's on mostly every show and they have the cast on and stuff and um just a a quick little thing you said it's funny you know uh, um, hmm. it's funny you just said that uh it seemed hot out and uh the 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 scene that they filmed on the playground at night they said was the coldest day in new mexico in like 50 years wow really well the guy was wearing a fur hat so that makes sense (laughs) And John, thank you for turning me on to that podcast. I listened to last week's episode, and I'm anxiously awaiting to listen to uh, to uh, the episode. Maybe tonight after we get off. It's it's fantastic. It's such a good companion to like other podcasts because what we do is ask the questions. Like, I wonder if that was scripted. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they know where it's going. You know, blah blah blah. Then you <laughs> listen to that show, and all the questions are answered. You know, yeah. no, we just made that up the day before, or you know, we didn't know, know who that, he was using the ricin on. <laughs> the whole uh, kind of off topic a little bit, but the whole uh, discussion about ricin in in episode five oh nine of that podcast was yeah. fascinating. Yes, which basically they didn't know what to do with the ricin. <laughs> they knew that they wanted to open the show with him getting the ricin, but they didn't know what he was going to use it for at that point. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and neither do we. Yeah. That's true. Although we will know in just a few short weeks. So Saul tells Hank, you know, we should send Hank to Belize like you did with Mike. In other words, kill him. And Walter says, 
absolutely not. He's family. It's not going to happen. I'll send you to Belize instead. <laughs> that was great. And then, <laughs> then we cut over to our Star Trek spec script scene of the week, which is Kubi and Huel, uh, Bill Burrow playing Kubi and uh, Lavelle Crawford playing Huel, going to pick up Walt's money and doing their own little Scrooge McDuck routine on the giant pile of money in the storage locker. I, I love this scene. What did you guys think? I thought it was a very Tarantino-style scene. Just the way that, you know, they both laid down on the money. And then, uh, you know, like we said at the beginning, you know, Mexico is all I'm saying, you know. It just seemed like a very, uh, it's cool they have these light moments in a very tense, uh, you know, uh, taut episode like this. They had a little light moment. I thought that was great. Absolutely. And since you mentioned how the episode was shot, I I should mention this episode was written by... uh, Thomas Schnauz, I believe it's pronounced. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And directed by Michelle McLaren, the same team who brought us, uh, tied for my favorite episode of the series, One Minute, which I also just watched the other day. So uh, you know it's quality when those two are involved. Not that the show is ever not quality, but uh, I always get a little extra excited when I see those names popping up in the credits. You know, those those two characters, um, uh, Jim, like you were describing, very Tarantino, because they were they were not they were not saying what they were thinking. They were just, they were just punctuating their thought, you know, with that line. That's all I'm saying. You know, it's, it's very understated, but it's, you know, they're, it's just that moment where they're just dreaming for a moment. You know, even these terrible people can dream big or can have these fantasies. And, uh, well, uh, Frank, if, just, you, if, you really and I, if you and I were there in that room full of money, guess what? I would lay down on the money, too. And you know what? I would also think for a minute, you know, I could just fill up my pockets and run to Mexico, you know? So I think that's, like, that humor stems from, that's probably what I would have done in the same situation, you know? Yeah. I would have done something similar, except I would have killed both of you and taken all of them. No offense. How much money do you think they took between themselves? Because you know they took some. Uh, you know, <laughs> twenty, thirty thousand each, probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, because those ten thousand dollar stacks, like they even point out, like no one's gonna know. And Walt knew, right? Close enough, he said. Yeah. <laughs> or he, he figured. He, ass- he assumes yeah. they stole. It doesn't matter at this point. Yeah. So. Uh, Did you mention right. that uh, Bill's Burr? Bill Bill's Burr. That Bill Burr's uh, character name is Kubi. Yes, K U B Y. I had to look it up. I don't even remember them saying it often before maybe this episode, but I, I feel like it's been said once or twice before because when they when they said it in this week's episode, I went, "Oh yeah, that's right. He does have a weird name." Uh, no offense to anybody named Kubi, but um, it's I'm almost certain it has been said before because it struck me as something I'd heard before. And Walt says, "You know, here's Kubi and um, and who, what's the other guy's name? Huel. Huel. Here's Kubi and Huel's cut." And uh, I'll be coming back for the rest or something like that. So he does yeah. mention their names, too. Yeah, that that's exactly where it is. So they bring it to Walt, uh, who, like we said, he checks it. He goes, it's close enough. He gives them their cut, and he drives the van into the desert. And the location that they're at, did you guys notice where he was took the money to bury it? Uh, that it was, looked was like that... they're... Oh, go ahead, John. I was, I was going to guess the first episode where they drove out into the desert. When Walt was in his underwear, or so I was gonna say it was the first first uh, spot where they first cooked in the first, in the RV. That's what I was gonna say too. Yeah. Well, you would all be correct. It is most definitely the same exact location. There's even screen screenshots showing you 
uh, the, the rocks in the background are exactly the same. Like some of the, I think they're called buttes, but just some of the, the various uh, beautiful New Mexico red sandstone, I believe it's called, that gets uh, eroded in certain ways. It's definitely the same exact location. I have a feeling that this is my big prediction. I don't know how any of this is going to go down, but I have a feeling that it's going to be with Walt in his underwear. Like <laughs> I, I would, I could dig that. You know, some yeah, kind Walt, of big shootout or showdown, but Walt's going to be in those tidy whities just like in the first scene of the whole show. I'd like to make a prediction now, too, that that lottery ticket that he buys with the numbers of the coordinates on the lottery ticket, that's going to play in huge somewhere down the storyline. I think you are almost certainly correct, sir. That could be the big piece of evidence. My prediction is actually, if you remember back to episode two of the series, after that cook, they leave behind a gas mask, which gets picked up by a couple Native American kids. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that by the end of the series, whether Walt's alive or not, he does not have that money, or he does not have all of the money. And one of the last scenes of the show is a couple Native American kids walking through that area and finding uh, stacks of cash. And if they can get the same actors that they used in episode two, all the better. <laughs> That's another kind of smoking gun that I always wait for Hank to bring out like didn't the gas masks have the high school um yes they did because remember they fought they uh yeah they, they, the right and then they went through the whole inventory and everything so that, that should be another huge wasn't walt like one of the only people with the keys and right because they ended up charging the janitor hugo i think his name was sounds right yeah oh my gosh that's right wow Jordan and I have a little bit of an advantage, I think. We both just rewatched the entire series before this, this season and started. I, I'm still rewatching season four, but yeah, otherwise I've rewatched everything. And I'm, ab- I'm about to because uh, my wife, after not listening to me for a long time on the BBC Sherlock, finally watched that and now wants to watch whatever I recommend. So <laughs> I'm getting her to watch uh, Breaking Bad with me now that it's on Netflix streaming. A lifetime worth of told you so's. <laughs> oh, it's like a year saving up of told you so's. I've been telling her to watch that. And now, you know, I've been telling her to watch Breaking Bad for almost as long. So, You should have kept it a log of every time you told her she should watch it so you could pull it out and be like, here's 167 Jordan's times obviously single. Or like that, that one episode of, of Family Guy where Lois says that Peter's right and he pulls the string and like, you know, cl- uh, balloons and confetti come and then like a mummified clown because he's been up there for so long he died and... <laughs> Just to be clear, I'm not saying it's a good idea, yeah. just that it would be funny if you did it. Right. I would have to do something. Here's like my that. version of a married, I told you so. <laughs> told you so. What? what? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Your hair looks lovely. <laughs> so, Walt goes out into the desert to that same cook site. He uh, takes a pickaxe and digs up a big section of ground while he's wearing a head wrap that makes it seem like he and Carol from The Walking Dead shop at the same stores. And uh, he drops all of the barrels of money into the site. He covers it up. He grabs a GPS, finds the exact coordinates. He memorizes them. He smashes the GPS. He buys a lottery ticket with those coordinates as the, uh, the lottery picks. And he hangs it up on the door of his uh, refrigerator. So, okay, Uh, if you do a lot of reading about Breaking Bad, especially recently, you'll find a number of theories that include colors in the show. Absolutely. Um, You know, you have Walter White and Gretchen and uh, Elliot Schwartz. Jesse Pinkman. Jesse Pinkman. There's oranges that 
are used in several scenes. There's a lot of things going on with color. Um, another thing about color is they track the outfits of every character. And you can see Walt's outfits gradually getting darker as the show goes on. And as we mentioned last episode, he sort of goes back to his season one outfit when they're all thinking that they're out of the drug business, they're running car washes, and all of a sudden Walter is in like an almost all white. It's not really white. There's creams and sort of light khakis and stuff. Very light colors, though. Right. And here he is in episode two, covered in dirt. Mm -hmm. Walter White cannot stay clean. (laughs) And the the light colors (laughs) symbolize, because I know they've talked about this before, you know, the light versus dark of the colors don't just reflect, you know, how light or dark the character's behaving. Right. The the lighter muted colors actually reflect death and the fact that he's got the cancer. And when he got this new life of Heisenberg, that's when his colors became darker and darker. And when he beat the cancer the first time, his colors got darker and darker. And so for anybody who follows, follows those color theories, which in most shows I would say, yeah, come on, give me a break. But in this show or Mad Men or a couple others, they definitely do it. You know, the sheer fact that he was back in those season one clothes and in the, in the, the whites and pails right. was a clear indicator that his cancer was back even before he told Hank. Right. Yeah, there and was he... a, oh, I'm just going to say, I saw what, what you're talking about on BuzzFeed, if any of our listeners want to check it out. They actually had a spectrum worked out of the, of the clothes that the different characters have worn as the seasons have gone on. They had Walt and Skylar and Jesse and everything. And you guys are absolutely correct. As you know, as you know, Walter quote unquote gets darker, his wardrobe also got darker. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I just found it very interesting that, you know, you went from episode one where he was kind of back to old Walt and then he gets the confrontation with Hank and now he's just covered in in filth again. And uh, another interesting thing about the colors is only, like, Hank and Marie are constant. Marie is, like, always all purple. (laughs) Except in one scene where she wore yellow, which some people also think is very important. And uh, Hank does wear a lot of orange shades, uh, which, again, the oranges, when when, uh, Ted Beneke broke his neck, the oranges fell, and the neighbor dropped her bag of oranges last show. Um, and oranges, the, the whole uh, Godfather. Yeah, they're, they're big in the Godfather, the oranges as well. So it's just kind of interesting stuff, and you wonder if any of it's going to add up at the end, or if it's just kind of red herrings or reading into it too much, etc. Now, now, do you think they'll mix their directorial metaphors and have not only the Coppola oranges but also the Scorsese X's before people die before the end of the show? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, it's just a, a giant X made out of uh, oranges, and you're like, oh crap, everyone's <laughs> going to die. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Google Scorsese and X's or crosses and death. It's uh, actually very interesting. The um, you know, they're on that on that BuzzFeed that uh that Jim uh, mentioned that he told us about. There was a there was another thing with um about Jesse Pinkman about him the the number eight always being around him, or maybe it's an infinity sign. Um, yes, I've seen that as well. Yep, that yeah. one I felt was reaching a bit more. I don't know. Yeah, I'm pulling my I, Bill McGonnell card on that one and going, give me a break. <laughs> but, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, what that could possibly mean. I mean, if it's an infinity sign, then that would lead me to believe that he's going to make it out okay. Because but, he's immortal. Right? <laughs> yeah, because it turns out he's a god. Um, it's uh, the X-Men crossover you didn't realize existed. <laughs> 
so after Walt hangs the lottery ticket on the refrigerator, Skylar hears him. She comes out, and uh, he, he doesn't say a word to her. He, he's walking towards the shower. He's getting undressed, and she's just telling him, look, I didn't tell Hank anything. He, he really doesn't have, you know, a hook to hang his hat on. He doesn't have anything. And she's just like, would you just talk to me? And at that moment, Walt collapses Again, reinforcing, A, he just did a lot, a lot of hard manual labor, but B, the man is dying, he has cancer, and uh, he should not have been doing that type of work on his own. And uh, he wakes up in bed, or actually on the on the ground in the bathroom, covered in a, in a blanket with a pillow under his head, and that's when they finally get to have the actual conversation of, I didn't tell him anything, he doesn't really have a leg to stand on, and we've got to figure out what we're going to do. What a uh, what a turnaround in this period of time with Skyler, you know, from wishing that he would get cancer back to sort of laying by his side on the bathroom floor. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. 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 What, what does he say? You happy now or something like that? Did you guys have a real hard time making out the dialogue in this scene when he wakes up and, and is sort of... I wouldn't say he's whispering, but he's certainly talking in a low tone to Skylar. I had to run it back a few times. I, I don't remember uh, struggling with it. I, I I was okay with it. But you know what? I think I had the closed caption on. I, I usually do that when I'm watching television. So Right. Also around this time, Hank and Marie come to the, the White family household so Marie can talk to Skylar and try to talk her into, you know, come with us, we'll keep you and the kids safe. Marie is much faster to put the pieces together than Hank because, you know, they're sisters, they, they can read each other very easily, and she's very quickly able to work out through the limited things Skylar says and through Skylar's reactions that Skylar has known about this for a long time, and she's much more complicit than Hank realized, and the moment that Marie puts it together that you knew about this before Hank was shot, she slaps Skylar in the face, and as Skylar is kind of recuperating from that, Marie goes out, picks up baby Holly, and attempts to leave the premises with the baby to keep the uh, Holly safe. And uh, uh, Skylar comes out. They have a huge heated argument. Hank has to come in and kind of break them up and tell Marie to give Holly back to Skylar. And then th- then they leave. Now, this was, to me, actually watching it the second time, because I watched the episode back-to-back last night. The second time was actually more emotional. And, and I've said it before, I'm not a fan of kids, but... Man, that just tore at you from all different angles. And I've got my question for you guys is, did Hank just force Marie to make the worst decision of her life, leaving Holly with Skylar? For some reason, I think the kids are going to be okay. I find it interesting that we haven't seen uh, Walt Jr. yet this season. Or I guess guess he had breakfast or dinner in in, uh, the first Yeah, he had dinner one thing. Yeah. I I just think the kids are going to be okay. I wonder... Have they ever addressed why Hank and Marie don't have kids? I don't think they have. I feel no. like they touched on it, but I don't know. I don't find it that that weird anymore in 2013. No, but the way that she takes to Holly and... and, and I'm sure you remember the episodes where the kids were staying with them. Like how Hank was acting with Holly and stuff and... You know, he had her on his knee and he was saying, uh, I don't know, I forget what he was saying, but it was, you know, heartwarming stuff. I wonder if there was ever a, you know what, they they haven't addressed it enough for it to be an issue. But I always wondered, like, if they don't, you know, if, if they're having trouble or they, they're not able to have kids and that's why she's so, like, attached or, you know, whatever. I don't I don't know. 
you know, there's, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I think it's a valid theory, but I mean, uh, you know, there's nothing like an aunt and uncle to dote over their nephew and nieces, you know, when they don't have kids. So it's easier for them to kind of, oh no, ha- have attachments to them, especially when they get to give them back at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, they don't have to deal with all the tantrums and, and right. stuff like that. But um, Jordan, uh, answering your question about whether it was the, a big mistake or not, you know, we, I was thinking about this. Why would Hank do that? Because at one point, Skylar says, why don't we just call the, I'm going to call the police. And I was thinking, Skylar can't call the police because that could actually make things worse for her. And when Hank, you know, when Hank told Marie to give up the baby, that just, that surprised me. It, I, 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 again, I was dumbfounded by that decision. I feel like it was a reflection of the scene in season three, maybe, where uh, Skylar calls the cops on Walt and they won't make him leave because there's no legal reason why he would have to. And in the same way, I think Hank knows that, you know, legally the cops would have her keep the kid and make them leave. There's no case kept pending against her or Walt. It's just some guy and his wife breaking into their, their sister-in-law's home and trying to take her kid right. without any explanation and a legal explanation that he can't really give at the moment either. Right. You like um, the point you made earlier about him not, I mean, he has the circumstantial evidence to prove it in his mind that Walt is Heisenberg, but he doesn't have enough concrete evidence to go to get like a district attorney, you know, and a subpoena and things like that. So he wouldn't have really have a legal ground to stand on and take the child away without that. And he might be in enough trouble anyway. I mean, he's probably trying to play it extremely by the, you know, he's trying to play it as close to the book as he can now, trying to get Skyler to leave a, you know, make a statement. You know, he can't explain why he would be involved in taking these people's child from their house. I mean, I don't think Hank can be involved in that stuff. I just Googled it. I can't find any answer. It doesn't seem like there is an official one. But uh, yes, they are they are definitely without children, whether that's for medical reasons or just personal choice, unknown at this point. It just seemed like such a uh, a tense moment, like when when Maria grabbed Maria when Marie grabbed the baby, it was almost like it set something off in Skylar. Like I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a natural reaction when somebody grabs your kid. But well, we know that Marie steals. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Send you to Belize. so we then cut to arizona or at least a member of the arizona cartel um who is driving a blindfolded uh, lydia lydia dark quail into the desert to meet with declan who we met uh either season i think it was the beginning of season five but the uh, the the guy in the intro who uh who says heisenberg when he's told to say walt's name and uh, they reveal, and this scene also reminded me of Tuco and Walt and Jesse in the junkyard, just in the way it was staged, because um, you had all those those burned out cars and trucks everywhere. I thought we were going back to the junkyard. I, I like that <laughs> character a lot, too. <laughs> but uh, they reveal that underneath of a parked truck, they have buried a city bus and turned it into a meth lab, which is kind of awesome. It's not quite the super lab, but it's pretty cool. And they, they go in there and they talk about, you know, We've got to get this the, the quality of the meth back up. This is not what I signed on for. Um, I'm losing money over this. So you've got to get Todd back in here, have him back on the case. And they pretty much tell her, you know, yeah, Todd might have been okay at first, but then his third time cooking down here, he started a fire. 
We're going to leave it with our guys. We're fine with the quality as it is. It's no problem. And for them, you know, it's more they just got a competitor off the street. So they're, they're fine with it being a low quality. And uh, at that point, they get the word, hey, boss, we got trouble up here. And so they leave Lydia in the bus and they go up top and they go up top and uh, she quickly sends a text. And then we start hearing some uh, commotion up top. We hear gunfire and then a voice calls down saying, hey, it's done. It's cool. You can come up now. And it's Todd. And we are it's revealed to us that Todd, his uncle, uh, Jack, I believe, and uh, all of their Nazi uh, neo-Nazi friends have come in and killed all the Arizona meth dealers for Lydia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I love, uh, I can't quite put my finger on it, but uh, Lydia's shoes. I guess, they were awesome, right? I guess they I were never just, noticed shoes, I, and they were cool. I, I guess they were just showing that she's wearing like $800 shoes out in the desert. Like, I'm sure it says something smarter than what I'm uh Well, like maybe... Like, maybe she is clueless. I mean, those aren't the type of shoes you would wear on uh, in the desert. You know, is, is she superficial? Does she just not know what she's getting into? Yeah, she's, like, I totally have... sheltered from this type of activity, usually. And now she's in, mm. the, she's in the trenches, so to speak. Mm. And her shoes have been a plot point before, because remember yeah, when... Yeah, she uh, put on one and one. She yeah. put on the wrong ones, yeah. 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 But, yeah, it was cool. Like, the, the bottom of them was red. They really stood out. They were kind of neat. And I, again, not a shoe guy. Definitely not a foot guy. Feet are gross. But I definitely noticed them. Well, they certainly focused on them on a number of... When she was stepping through the sand, when she was going down the ladder. I mean, they wanted right, you although, to see her shoes. I wonder if with the sand, if that was more to hide the bodies until they revealed them from the overhead shot. But, uh, but yeah. So, yeah, she comes up with Todd, and she's like, I don't want to see. I don't want to see. So, he has her cover her eyes. And Todd, despite being possibly a psychopath and definitely a murderer, is pretty much the most courteous person ever. He <laughs> guides her as she covers her eyes through the bodies. Uh, Declan is still alive, and Todd notices that. He tells his Uncle Jack, and uh, one of the guys goes over it. Might have been Jack, might have been another guy, I forget. And uh, shoots him in the head after saying, fire in the hole. And uh, that is where we leave Lydia's story for this episode. You know, I did a quick search on maybe what type of shoes she was wearing, and... <laughs> And something, uh, something that came up was blood red soles under her shoes. Oh, like, interesting. You know that that's a nice metaphor right there. It's you know all this blood is that spilt is 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 on her. You know, even right. though she doesn't want to look at it, even though she doesn't want to see it, it's her fault that all these people died. Todd's kind of like the anti Jesse, isn't he? Like Jesse's sort of rough around the edges and. And, and Todd and is very polite the, and very right, uh, well-spoken. Right, and, and, and Jesse very, puts on, yeah. yeah, Jesse puts on the rough exterior, but we're finding out he's actually a good person. And Todd is actually, you know, he's polite, like you were just saying, Jim, and he's the sociopath. Uh, one review I read last night, and I, I brought it back up right now just because <laughs> Frank brought it up, refers to them as Louboutins or Louboutins. Uh, obviously, I have no idea how to pronounce it, but L-O-U-B-O-U-T-I-N-S. Um, I'm going to assume that is a shoe uh, shoe manufacturer of some type. I'm sure. I'm sure all the women listening to this episode can can yes. tell us all about them. All three of them, <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate each and every one. But yeah, I mean the the Jesse and Todd thing. Yeah, I mean it. It's the way they act is very opposite, but also the way they act towards children is equally opposite. You know, 
Jesse's all about don't hurt the kids, and Todd has shown uh, no compunction about shooting a kid when it's necessary. So Marie and Hank are talking, and she, she tells Hank, you know, you've got to go to the DEA, you've got to tell them what you know, and then, hey, we can catch them, the kids will be, will be safe, and everybody, everything will be fine. And we talked about this before, but this is where Hank says, basically, the moment I tell them what I know, my career is over. Oh, um, because heartbreaking. there's no way I wouldn't have known is what they're going to think. And it's, you know, t- perfectly understandable that they would not trust him with uh, Heisenberg being right under his nose this whole time. But uh, Hank finally goes back into work and uh, the first person who comes in is Gomez. And so the question is, you know, is Hank going to tell Gomez? Is Hank going to reveal what he knows? And uh, it feels like he's almost about to when Gomez mentions, oh, did you hear about the whole money thing? Your friend Jesse Pinkman was out last night just throwing two and a half million dollars all, o- all over Albuquerque. And that definitely piques Hank's interest. Uh, we then cut over to Jesse, who is in an interrogation room with the two agents who we- we'd previously seen in the episode uh, Face Off. Apparently they are Detectives uh, Kalchenko and Munn, who kind of have this uh, very vaudevillian routine. Uh, the two old guys in the balcony on The Muppet Show, whose names I'm going to forget right now. Waldorf and Stellar. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, it's, it's very funny, just like it was in the episode Face Off, um, and, and he won't say anything to them. He's pretty much catatonic. I, I don't think he even really moves much in the entire uh, the entire scene he's in there. He, he certainly doesn't say a word, and Hank goes and gets their attention. He, he talks them into going out and having a smoke break. He says, oh, you know, I've got a relationship with this kid. He can't stand my guts, so I'll rile him up for you. Maybe he'll talk when you come back if I can get him angry enough. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. Hank walks over to the door, he opens it, it shuts behind him, cut to credits, and that is where we leave with an awesome, terrible cliffhanger of Will Jesse Talk. But Hank is, Hank is, hold on, before we go to the summation, Hank is totally right. Either he's going to come off as being the worst, you know, DA agent ever for having, you know, Walter under his nose all the time and not noticing, or come off as complicit. I mean, which would you rather have? Everybody think you're an idiot or, 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 or corrupt? You know, that's there's that's no win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like no. There's, well, at least in one, you don't go to jail. Yeah, but I mean, in one one, everybody thinks you're the biggest idiot in the world because you never found him, or they think you're complicit. I mean, it'd probably be easier for people to believe that he was complicit. You know, so he's absolutely right. You know, when he does bring all this in, that's going to be it. And you know, better that he goes in with at least enough evidence to say, carry on the case in my stead than to go in and here's my uh, here's my suspicions, oh, and you're fired and the case doesn't go through. He needs something to stand on. So that leads us to the question, at this point, will Jesse talk? Will Jesse turn state witness and side with Hank? I'm thinking yes. I'm thinking there's a very good possibility that he will, but I'm curious what you guys think. I think, I think he will too. He really, you know, he, uh, Jesse's a lost man. He needs something, and if it means bringing down Walt, then that's something. Yeah, he's he's going to talk. He's probably going to make a sweet deal and walk away, or you know, um, do very little time. But Jesse needs something. He has lost. He has lost something inside of him, and and uh, he needs to redeem that. I don't know if it's going to be to Hank though. He hates Hank. Hank beat the crap out of him. Yeah, that's right. Hank put him in the hospital. I mean, that was legitimately... 
And I, I think uh, Jesse made some sort of promise at that point, you know, about taking Hank down or I forget the lines exactly. Jordan, you know the scene I'm talking about, right? I believe he tells Walt, you know, if it's the last thing he does, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, something along those lines. I mean, the scene that really comes to me is, uh, is that moment when he's being released from the hospital. He's in the wheelchair and uh, he, he's smoking the cigarette and the, the, the ambulance pulls up and they wheel Hank's body out after right. one minute. from being shot, and, yeah. And, you know, Jesse's still in terrible pain and all this stuff, but he gets in the car with Skinny Pete. And when Skinny Pete asks him how he's, how's he's doing, Jesse goes, you know what? It's actually a pretty awesome day or, or something along those lines. <laughs> You know, but that brings up the the idea: Would that be now? That, would he feel that they're even now? Would that kind of alleviate the anger he feels against Hank that Hank got what was coming to him already? I don't. I don't know. What if Hank, it, you know, tells Jesse once this goes public, if you help me, I'm going to lose my job. Like I'm still going to lose on this. Would that be enough as well? I, I think if if Jesse talks, isn't the show over? You know what well, I you mean? Know, like, I, I, I thought that the show was over after Walt and Hank had the showdown in the garage. I thought, where else can this show go? But, you know, this episode proved me wrong. I, right. I, you know, he can still talk, and I think there's still plenty to happen. And, and, we, and we know that Walt is living under assumed, an assumed identity uh, under a year from now. So it's quite possible that... You know, you know, six months from now or whatever. So it's, it's quite possible that, yeah, the, the show as we know it is over next week or the week after. But Mr. Lambert and the adventures of Walt in his assumed identity will continue from there. You know, it's obviously that, that this house of cards is going to fall within the next six weeks. You know, does it really make a difference to us whether it happens in two weeks or in four? Yeah, I, I don't know. However they do it, I have complete and total faith. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. They've earned my trust. I mean, just so far, exactly. I, mean, I trust they're gonna they're gonna bring it home. You know, bring it home, and I really think they will. A coworker mentioned today uh, she had heard something about the writers talking about how this series ends, and without giving anything away, they came up with every possibility that made sense, and then the writers all voted on the one that they liked the most. So they've obviously thought this ending through. And and so uh, I think we're all going to be pretty satisfied with with where wherever the story ends up. Now I've got one other question that came to mind last night when I was watching this, and we've we've hinted on it already. But okay, so Skyler not talking at least at this point. Jesse still unknown. But let's assume for a moment that that Jesse does not talk. What else? What other avenue does Hank have? Where else can he go? What other piece of evidence is out there that he can find that will make enough of a case that Walt has to go on the run or, you know, what, whatever happens from that point? What is that one thing that presumably we've already been introduced to, be it the, the lottery ticket or the, the gas mask from episode two or whatever? What is that one piece of evidence that Hank could find that will wrap this all up for us? Um, well, Jesse killed Gail. Maybe, maybe that could somehow come back to to haunt Jesse. I don't know. Gail's notebook ha- certainly has some stuff. Is there anything in there that we know that Hank could find that he hasn't glommed onto yet? 
there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head. No. I mean, when you think of all of the stuff that Walt and Jesse have done, there's probably lots of evidence that they could... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, Crazy Eight, uh, you know, his body being melted, you know, maybe they could find some DNA evidence. That's not likely, though. Um, not particularly, no. Not if the uh, acid did his job. You know, maybe some. Maybe if Skyler, uh, who was that guy that she was sleeping with? What if he comes back? Ted Benneke. Yeah, yeah, Ted. That's possible. It, yeah, maybe there's some connection there that we're missing. Or they find... Well, all he has to do is talk, right? I mean, that's how it was left with him, that he promised he wasn't going to say anything because he was scared for his life. Right. Uh, he, has, he knows something. She told him that she was the one that paid his... IRS fines. But he yeah. has pretty much just as much to lose as she does in that case. And he, we know he's self-serving, so... Yeah. I mean, like, Lydia could be caught doing something stupid. Todd could give him up. Yeah, I mean, there's Th- definitely... That spider that Todd has, could that spider come back somehow? <laughs> the, the tarantula? <laughs> they're, uh... They're definitely showing us Lydia for a reason. Uh, that story's gonna continue, obviously... You know, I could see she's an interesting character because you could see her cracking, but she definitely is the last person that wants to go to prison. So I wonder if that makes her more trustworthy or <laughs> if she would strike a deal easier. She she would definitely strike a deal if you if you recall when they were going to when they were going to kill her last season. You know, she was very concerned about her daughter and just you know, she didn't want to be killed in the house. Is that right? She didn't want to be killed in the house because her daughter yeah, was there. Yep, and, yep. and, and um, you know, she is very kind of self-serving, too. You know, she's going to survive no matter what. How about uh, Mike? You know, did they, ever, uh, did they ever dispose of Mike's body? I guess they didn't show it. I feel like they mentioned that Saul did, but I don't know if we know any of the specifics of that. It's in Belize. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's in Belize. I mean, yeah, Mike's body could come up, but I don't know how that would connect back to Walt. Um, unless they could well, find Unless his gun. fingerprints were on something in the bag that he gave to, to Hank or something, yeah. or to, to Mike. Hmm. Well, you guys want to change uh, gears for a second here? Sure. Uh, did anybody else get a chance to watch the Mythbusters Breaking Bad special? No! No, I, I have not. No, please enlighten us. <laughs> okay, well, I will not spoil the uh, the whether the myths were busted or not, but I'll tell you it was a very entertaining episode. I know it was, at least for a time, available free on Discovery's website. I don't know if it still is, but it's worth checking out if you can find it. Um, they have uh, Aaron Paul, uh, Jesse Pinkman, and uh, Vince Gilligan, the, the showrunner for the show. They had them come on uh, for a few interstitials where they, where they talk with the, the Mythbusters team. And the two myths that they go into are both from season one. It is, can a, uh, an acid bath, like we saw in season one, actually <laughs> eat through a body, a gun, a uh, bathtub, and the floor beneath it? <laughs> and they test that in a variety of ways. And then they also test the fulminated mercury 
from the scene with Tuco where, uh, you know, the whole that's not meth scene where Walt throws the fulminated mercury <laughs> on the ground and creates the explosion. Could that actually bust out windows but leave people alive? Can it ignite on its own, etc.? Um, again, I won't spoil whether those things would work or would work with augmentations or just wouldn't work at all, but it's certainly very entertaining. Very cool. So I would recommend that one a lot. I mean, if you're a Mythbusters fan, absolutely. If you're a Breaking Bad fan, absolutely. If you kind of like both those things, in which case, if you only kind of like Breaking Bad, I don't know why you're listening to this, but still, <laughs> I, I think it was very entertaining. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I didn't realize that they that they were doing that. And I think they've said they want to do a second one, because I mean, like, like I said, they only did two myths, or not necessarily myths, but two uh, experiments, and they were both from season one. So there's plenty of other stuff they could do. Uh, from the rest of the series, be it the magnets or uh, breaking open an ATM or any other number of things. Yeah, can an ATM crush your head? <laughs> I, I'm going to guess yes. I think anything heavy enough can crush your head. Um, but maybe, like, from that position, would it be enough? Or There's all kinds of fun stuff they could look into. How um, much heroin do you have to take to actually ch- uh, choke to death on your own vomit? Yeah. I don't know. That, that one might be a bit macabre. It looks like the Simpsons are doing a... Uh... I think it's coming up next season. Uh, they're doing an episode where Marge uh, sells a very, addict, uh, a very uh, addictive cupcake that happens to be blue. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, switching gears back to the episode, gentlemen, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything? Any scenes that really stood out to you? Character performances, writing, shots, what have you? You know, uh, I'll I'll jump in. You know, the lack of of Jesse Pinkman not having any dialogue in this, but just acting with that lost look on his face was pretty, I mean, it just felt so real and I empathized with him so much and he never said a word. You're bravo to Pinkman. And he's always had a great job with the facial acting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's something that often gets overlooked and stuff where you really focus on the great lines or line delivery, but there's so many scenes throughout the show where Aaron Paul has just not said a word and the look on his face, his body language, etc., has sold a scene as well as any any other actor in the show who's, you know, giving, you know, great monologues or anything like that. He's he's really done an exceptional job uh, throughout the show. I'm wondering with the treatment that we saw t- that uh, Todd and Uncle Jack gave uh, Declan and Friends today, if that's what happens to the White House. Um, we've seen that you know, in the flash forwards. Uh, you know, Walt's house has been decimated or whatever. Is that, is that them? You know, <laughs> is that their handiwork? Could be. And, you never want to get into business with neo-Nazis for a variety of reasons. <laughs> that's so. true. It was definitely a episode that put pieces into position. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't as exciting as the, as the premiere. Uh, definitely had some great performances and, and some tense moments and stuff. But I think it was really setting the table. You know, moving the chess pieces around and, and getting them ready for the for where it's going to go. And it's still moving a mile a minute. You know, we talked about it last week, but I mean, Marie already knows. Again, I would not have guessed that Marie would already know. I would kind of think that Hank would keep that from her for a while. But Marie knows. Skylar knows that everybody knows. It's almost everything is out on the table at this point, And it's crazy. Yeah. The only one left is Walt Jr. I mean, I don't see them breaking the news to him. <laughs> As long as they do it over breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bacon um, cures all wounds. <laughs> they'll be trying to tell him, but he'll be with, uh, what's his name? Who's the friend that oh. always gives him the rods that you never see? Uh, I think you do see him once. Yeah, when they were buying you... beer, I think. You... Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis, yes. 
Lewis is going to be the key. Lewis is going to have some piece of information, and he's going to tie the whole case together. I think think you only see Lewis when they're trying to buy beer at the convenience store, and Lewis makes Walt Jr. do it because they feel bad because, you know, the people feel bad that he's on crutches or whatever, so they'll buy (laughs) him the beer. You know that um, you were talking about the show moving a mile a minute, and uh, you guys aren't kidding. When I was watching it this morning, and I was about halfway through the show, um, I paused it for a moment, and I was shocked that, you know, I was already like 20, 25 minutes into the show. It really felt like like five minutes had passed. Just It was just moving so fast, and there was just... And it wasn't a fast show. It's just the dialogue was so captivating. And the way the characters were acting, it was just fascinating. Such a good series. Yeah. Seems like the first time I look at the clock, it's like there's like 10 minutes left and you're at a commercial. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn. Speaking of commercials, something I want to mention that I, I kind of discovered last night and last week. Have you guys used the uh, AMC StorySync uh, dual screen app thing? I have not. I've used it like for other... I think I used it for Walking Dead at one time to try it out, but I haven't tried it for Breaking Bad. Gotcha. Well, A, I'll say, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, You know, it'll come up with, somebody will say something on the show, and then it'll bring up a screenshot to be like, hey, this is what they were referencing, or somebody will do something, and it'll have a poll, should they have done this, or something like that. So those are pretty interesting. But what's the best thing about it, hands down, is when the show cuts to commercial, at the top of the uh, the page, there's always a, you know, like 30 seconds till the next update, a minute till the next update or whatever. You can tell <laughs> using that counter that I have three minutes and 30 seconds until the commercial is done. So I've got time to go grab a drink or use the restroom or whatever you got to do. <laughs> it's awesome. I wish every show had that. It's like when Fringe used to have, like in its first season, it had like the 30 to 90 second commercial breaks. And so you always knew, like, I've got X amount of time. And it's so great. So I recommend it just for that. If, if you, even if you don't want the other stuff, have it just for the uh, the commercial counter, basically. That's interesting. That's sort of a technology that seemed like it was going to come on Gangbusters. I know, like, the Avengers Blu-ray had it, and, like, the Prometheus Blu-ray had it, and then it kind of just stopped. I wonder if they find that it's not worth putting that effort in, like not enough people are using it or buying the apps, or I guess the apps are free. Um, in yeah, that case, it's, it's not even an app. Site, in this case, right? It's just yeah, a website. Yeah, yeah. It's probably- yeah. I'm not sure. They must have enough success for AMC to keep doing it. You know. Yeah. Uh, I used it a couple of times, and I did enjoy it. Uh, the only problem with it is that you really want to you do it live. Uh, I think I seem to remember trying to watch it after I DVR'd it one time, and you know that commercial break kind of, you know, throws it wasn't. You out of the it, it, yeah, it throws you out of the loop. So. Unless I was watching it live, I didn't. I didn't use it. So, and I know a lot of people watch it live because they're excited about it. So, so there may be value. I mean, there's definitely value in it. Certainly, if you're watching it live, you're watching a later broadcast or something like that. It's. It's. I, I think it's worth it, yeah. and it's certainly good for like even things like you know we talked about the location of you know where Walt uh, buried the money, and I knew from off the top of my head that that's the location they were at. But on the app, it comes up with a screenshot of where he is right now and a screenshot of the original cook site. So for anybody who, I don't want to say casually watches the show like it's a negative thing, but hey, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if you haven't rewatched season one since it aired or you know, even in the last year, there's a good chance you're not going to remember every little detail. And it's nice to have those little 
you know, Walt was last seen wearing this shirt in this scene, and that's why it's important, or <laughs> this location, or, or whatever it is. You know, Hank has an offhand reference to uh, ba- oh, Gomi back when he did this, and it'll show you a screenshot of when, when Gomez did that thing and tell you what episode it was in. Um, and it's pretty cool just for that trivia aspect. It, it's like having a very knowledgeable friend next to you and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of kind of pointing goes, hey, that's important. Except this is one that if you don't want to listen to the friend, you can just turn it off. Yes. <laughs> Which is the best kind of friend. Yes. Uh, gentlemen, do we have anything else for this episode before we wrap it up? Nope, I don't think so. Alrighty, I'll give the outro everybody, and then just remember we will give a preview of next week's episode after the outro, so if you don't want to hear it, that'll be your cue to leave. But until next time, you can leave us a voicemail, 516-468-7912. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to play it on the show. Or you can send us an email at hermanos, H-E-R-M-A-N-O-S, at H-H-W-L-O-D.com. Don't forget to check out all of our other wonderful shows, like Half Hour Wasted with Frank and his buddies. Uh, we've got uh, The Long Box of Doom with myself, Jim, John, Russ, and, and that's a lot of fun as well, as well as some other shows we're on. Uh, the Walking Dead TV podcast, which is one of our biggest hits, and we, we love all of our fans over there for sure. Out Now with Aaron and Abe, Jersey Shore, Black Box, and many, many others. And you can follow us on Twitter at HHWLOD underscore network, and there is, of course, a Facebook group for those podcasts, Hermanos, as well. Look it up. You can sign up. And you'll get all the information there before you see it anywhere else, pretty much. And so until next time, folks, remember, we are not in danger, podcast listeners. We are the danger. And next week on Breaking Bad, episode five, episode, season five, episode 11, will be entitled Confessions. And the summary from AMC is, Jesse decides to make a change Walter and Skyler have an unexpected meeting, and we know from Talking Bad that uh, they uh, showed a screen cap of Walt and Skyler sitting in a restaurant at a table with four chairs, with them both facing in the direction of those other two chairs, and uh, it was in tone that they would be meeting someone. So presumably, uh, Hank and Marie will be meeting them for dinner to really throw all the cards on the table. And uh, I'm very excited. And the clue we were given by Vince Gilligan is that they will not go for the tableside guacamole. So apparently that's important. <laughs> so uh, have a good week, everybody. Take care. They always, they always do charge extra for the guacamole. But if it's good guacamole. It's worth know. the charge, but. Yeah, exactly. Wait, it's green. That's a clue. <laughs> <laughs>